As of today, we have about 640 active bedrooms in Houston. So we are at 89% occupancy as of this moment, but we want to be above 90. We don't really ever want to be at like 97% because if we have no rooms available in a particular part of town, someone's going to think we're not there and they'll never come back. So like you get one person in there, they stay for six months or a year or whatever. How long is that room going to be sitting vacant for the next person? Two weeks or less is the median of what we're seeing of how long one room isn't occupied, which is great because you want to have your rooms filled as often as you can. Another thing is that our eviction rate is about 3% and trending downwards. There are literally two pending evictions. So that is like a third of a percent of an eviction rate. That's an amazing stat. I think the other thing about Houston is that there are just so many pockets that make sense. I mean, you have universities, oil and gas, Walmart, hospitals, schools, the things that exist everywhere. We love the trade-off on the zoning that neighborhoods would maybe never have an HOA. In Pasadena, Texas, not only is it near the airport, but it's also just west of a lot of the industry. There's the airport. This is our second loop. It's called the Beltway. And Pasadena is, is right down and a little bit further east. You'll see the Houston Ship Channel. What is also over here is tons of uh, chemical plants, refineries, things like that. So in terms of the workforce from Baytown all the way back down to Pasadena is just kind of ripe for that split. The Texas Medical Center. We have whole houses that are adjacent to this where it's all traveling nurses. That's 77051, 77021-77033, down 288 on the south side, 45 on the east side, up to South Main, which is 90 on the west side. Just on the other side of 288, you have the Texas Southern University and then University of Houston. And those zip codes that I just mentioned, we're talking some massive growth. Okay, welcome to another episode of Affordable Housing and Real Estate Investing. Today, we are covering a specific market for the pad split exit strategy. We've been covering a lot of content about how to optimize your rentals, how to manage your rentals, especially for pad splits. But this is a really interesting episode because we're going to talk specifically about Houston. And now this is a market yeah. that I'm heavily looking into. And this is going to be really, really, really fun to one, understand the perspective from our OG senior passport account executive blake lewis on the call today and also get a little yeah. sense uh from our local <laughs> expert uh ryan mccarthy from Penn. so without further ado uh let's start with you blake blake welcome to the show welcome back i loved our conversation last time and today i'm so excited to dive deeper into a market with you but for the people that don't know you and don't know anything about passport can you just start by giving some context around what Passplit is and how much it has grown and who you are, obviously, most importantly. Sure. Well, thank you for having me again. I'm really stoked to be here. So I am Blake Lewis, Senior Account Executive at Padsplit. We are the world's largest co-living platform for essential workers. Essentially, we are providing housing for people that we interact with every day, from people at grocery stores, preschool, teachers, et cetera, et cetera. So what we do is we work with investors who are looking to have cash flowing assets, but also want to do good in, in the world. Uh, so essentially, we work with investors to identify properties. Um, they convert common areas to create more rooms and then rent by the room on our platform to background check working individuals 
which in turn generates higher revenue for the investor and also is creating safe, affordable housing for our working class neighbors. Um, what I do is consult with people from what is a pad split to, okay, my property is fully ready and I'm ready for the onboarding team. I love talking to experienced investors, brand new investors, really anyone that wants to kind of build generational wealth for their families, create passive income. Um, shout out to our first host ever who just moved to Valencia, Spain to live off her passive income for pad split. So if your dream is like mine to find the best croissant in Paris, the quickest way to get that passive income to support that is through pad split. And I would love to help you get there. Wow, what a great tangible <laughs> advice. If you want that croissant, that's what you want to do. Uh, croissant's one of my mom's favorite food, believe it or not. So fun fact, like uh, very see, this is why we get along. Like this is why I knew this is gonna be a good conversation. Perfect uh, croissant. Perfect <laughs> croissant. <laughs> um, well, Blake, tell us a little bit about I've heard about Passblade and how much it has grown. I'm even under escrow myself. So for folks that like I will personally vouch for Blake, Blake has been instrumental to my partners and I going under escrow for one of the first properties, giving us guidance and such specific tactical advice throughout the entire process. Like Blake, I, I am forever indebted to you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being so supportive so far. And if you want to work with Blake, make sure you click on the referral link that I'll put up on a YouTube video and, and on Apple podcasts as well. So you can work with the best OG oh, account representative. <laughs> Thank you. That is super kind. That. I second that. Okay. Turning <laughs> Uh, that's super kind. I am proud to be here. Uh, when I started back in 2019, we had 300 rooms and we were only in Metro Atlanta. Uh, I'm really proud to have seen our growth. We now have surpassed over 8,000 rooms. Um, what's super exciting as it pertains to Houston is that Houston is the first market that we moved into outside of Atlanta. And um, we had a lot of reasons for going there. Um, we like the price of homes. We like the massive workforce, um, the size of the homes. There's just a whole lot to really like about Houston. So it was a really um, natural kind of second market. We are now in Florida, Texas, Las Vegas, Phoenix. I'm probably not going to be able to name them all like I used to with one or two hands because now they don't fit on two hands, which is cool. Um, but yeah, um, we've grown a lot. We have a team of over 130 people working every day. So um, on the resident side, I mean, 24-7 member support. On the host side, we have people like me to get you started, onboarding, host success teams. And we're actually even building out a portfolio kind of expansion team to help investors who to reach their passive, you know, reach their goals faster. Because sometimes it can be hard after you find one to get your second. We want to grease the wheels all the way through the process and support investors, you know, every step of the way to, to reach whatever their goals may be. Wow. All right. What an intro. Ryan, you're going to have something to live up to. So, Ryan, let's bring you let's bring you into the conversation. Uh, for people that don't know you, can you tell us a little bit about your background? How yeah. did you got involved with Passplit? And when you described your, your company to me and my partners, really, really intriguing, really fascinating. And it's almost like a one-stop shop. So I want to make sure you, you're able to kind of cover all that. So take it away, man. Yeah, so I've been investing in Houston, uh, per Houston, and well, parts of Texas uh, personally since 2011. I started a, a little real estate investment company out of, out of Austin initially. Um, that went really well. We ended up uh, coming to Houston, and um, you know, through that process, um, yeah, you know, obviously I, I learned a lot in the education of it, and. Um, you know, when I got to a certain point, I thought, um, you know, I, 
early on, I've subscribed to this thing. You're only as successful as how you make other people successful. And so I started helping other people do real estate through just real estate brokerage, um, helping them find and identify uh, single family uh, investment properties, little cash flow properties. And, um, you know, quickly found out over time that I really enjoyed uh, helping other people uh, do what I'd already done. And I already, you know, I'd already, already paid for the education. So, um, you know, I did that for a couple years and kind of leaned into this thinking that if I can help people with just the real estate brokerage side of it, that that's one thing. But having the whole team is integral to being successful in any investment, right? So having, you know, brokerage, finding the deals, that's one thing the construction side of it and managing that piece of it, the listing and leasing part, and then the property management um, side of it as well. So that was when I came up the for the ambitious idea to, to put all those things together um, and, and effectively uh, through a network of individuals. My, my thought was if we can get enough individual people doing enough volume, we could actually go and hire these teams to where through proxy of the network, one individual now has access to the entire team that's working completely on their goals, completely on, on their uh, particular uh, projects. So, you know, that's what we've done when what we've done. So uh, the five going on five years now. Um, so when uh, I got one to pad split through uh, um, our, our broker, he was, uh, I think on LinkedIn or something and, and found it um, uh, some some post and he told me about it and we he literally called me and he's like man these uh, these guys are in Atlanta I think they're coming to Houston soon this was like uh, March of 2021 I think Blake somewhere in there and um, so he he reached out I think to Atticus through LinkedIn and Atticus uh, put us together with uh, Blake and, and Frank and, and that team and because I had the experience, obviously, of, of investing in Texas, investing in Houston, I looked at it and I go, man, this is an absolute no-brainer. A part of our charge uh, has always been affordable housing, has always been, you know, to me, the mom and pops who are investing in single-family homes absolutely was, was something that was, was attacking that, you know, that epidemic. And, and what's interesting about Houston um, over the past five to, to 10 years, Houston has always been relatively affordable, um, you know, given the size and given the, the opportunity. Um, but that's slowly starting to erode. I mean, you know, rents are going up, um, especially now in the, in the past year. And it's, it's definitely the opportunity is still there. There's a lot of jobs. There's a lot of, 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 uh, of growth potential, but it's not as affordable as it used to be. And, um, you know, I've seen this firsthand, you know. So when Pat Split said they were coming to the market and I, I saw, you know, co-living is not, it's an old idea. But nobody ever did it because they weren't able to put it together in a way that was that was you know that you're able to actually manage it. It's unbelievable the platform that they put together, and and now it, it makes co living and managing co living for investors and our clients actually possible. Where I I, I don't think it it really was uh, uh, before before Pat Split set out to do this. So. 
Um, yeah, I, I think that's really, really cool, man. On your yeah. end, you you found a new exit strategy, and you said, "How do we help people with this wave coming in with a huge affordable housing demand?" Absolutely mm-hmm. love that, Ryan. So I love that you you guys have a brokerage, you guys have some of the construction in house as well as property <clears> management. <throat> it's mm-hmm. really it it creates less friction, mm-hmm. or or it just makes the whole process smooth by removing the friction. Yeah. One of the other things people coming in. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. To that point, we have all these, obviously we have all these parts and and everyone knows you need these four or five things to be able to, to do real estate investment. But the key thing is this, is that, and, and Blake can say this, you know, when you're talking about a new model, when you're talking about something as innovative as pad split, very few people want to be the first ones to do it. Very few people want to say, yeah, that's a great idea, but uh, what's the data on that? You know, what? How have the? How has that gone? It's like, well, we just started. You know, when we were in Houston when they first came, it's like we have Atlanta data. You know, but how many do you have in Houston? Well, the thing about the the pin, the Pass Investor Network, is that it's a network of folks doing these these volume, right? But the other part of it is that we have these early adopters. We have these people that see that the risk reward ratio to this, it makes sense to them, right? And they go, you know what? I trust you guys to, to put me in a good position. So I'll go ahead and take the leap and, and be the first one to do this. So now, you know, two years later, we have all this data. We have all this these learnings. We have all this understanding of what makes a good pad split in Houston. We've taken, obviously, all of the the fantastic experience that that Blake and, and everybody had in Atlanta, you know, I went there, um, got to stay in a hotel where where, uh, where I think you got married, right, Blake? Oh, that was the thing. Like one of the great hotel. What's the name of the hotel? Uh, it's the Lowe's Hotel. Uh, there, okay, yeah, shout out to Lowe's Hotel. Shout out to the Lowe's uh, Hotel <laughs> in Midtown in Atlanta. So uh, got to go out there. Heard Frank drove me around, showed me. Um, just some incredible models that, that were early on and now what they're doing. And so we took that data, took that understanding and brought it to Houston. But now over two years and almost 200 units, we have the experience to say, look, we, we know how to do a pad split in Houston and Houston being that, um, it's very lax in terms of zoning um it's very kind of easy to to get you know these things approved and we've gone through that process um you know it's it's prime and and you know blake can tell you early on you know we we did a lot of work and and the the people on boots on the ground here um the the market launchers came in and and you know did a lot of work to get to get pad split you know synonymous with co-living like it is in atlanta yeah, and that's so cool, and I'm so glad you guys were able to pave the path for other investors like like myself that's looking into Houston right now, right? So right. we talked about you guys paving the path, you guys have the experience. Um, maybe this is a good time, Blake, kind of help the listeners understand some of the data, some of the stats you've been seeing from the sure. Houston market. Let's let's go through some data if you could, because yeah. I know we have audience out there that really want some tangible data that is sure. a little bit more risk of risk, but they want to make sure that they have some validation <clears throat> behind why sure. a certain investment thesis would work. So take sure. it away, Blake. 
Yeah, so as of today, we have about 640 active bedrooms in um, Houston, which means there's a third of them basically kind of that Ryan and his team have, you know, contributed to the total market, which is awesome. So when it comes to what operator knows the most about Houston, hands down, it's Ryan. He has a third of them under his belt. Um, So we are, you know, around 640 active rooms. We are at 89% occupancy as of this moment. Of course, we like to be above 90, but I mean, it's basically there. Interestingly, we never want to be while we don't really, we want to be above 90, we don't really ever want to be at like 97%. Because if we have no rooms available in a particular part of town, someone's going to think we're not there and they'll never come back. So like 90% is actually sort of our sweet spot. And that's just, you know, six rooms or something different. So tomorrow we'll probably be at 90%. Um, So that's great to see. Another um, sort of stat around Houston is um, people want to know, okay, so great, you get one person in there. They, you know, they stay for six months or a year or whatever. How long till, like, how long is that room going to be sitting vacant for the next person? The median time for a room to rebook in Houston is 10 days and trending downward. So, you know, somebody moves out on a Monday, the property manager turns the home on a Wednesday within, you know, 10 days and I'm counting the weekend, it's going to be booked again. And then, you know, within a week from when they book, they're going to move in. So, you know, two weeks or less is the median of what we're seeing of how long one room, you know, isn't occupied, which is great because you want to have, you know, your rooms filled as often as you can. Um, so that's a great statistic. Um, another thing I'll call out is that across the board, our eviction rate is about 3% and trending downwards. In Houston, of the 645 rooms, there are literally two pending eviction. So that is like what a third of a percent of an eviction rate in the class in the world of class C, the normal is like 6%. So wow. I can't do that math, but like, what is that? Like one 18th of the average eviction rate is what we're seeing. Um, is so that two evictions across three years or just like in one year right now? I want to make like sure right like- now there's two pending evictions. Oh, okay. Wow. That's crazy though. That's still very, very, very low. <laughs> yeah. Right. So that's, that's an amazing stat. Um, I think the other thing just about Houston is that there are just so many pockets that make sense. I mean, you have the universities, you have the oil and gas, you have the, you know, normal, just Walmart, hospitals, schools, the things that exist everywhere. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think, and then of course we love the, the zoning. Um, the trade-off on the zoning is that neighborhoods that would maybe never have an HOA in most cities have an HOA. So that's what is so important about using local experts like Ryan's team to source the properties to make sure that you're set up for success from the beginning. Uh, Let's see. What else should I share about Houston? Um, Yeah. So I think for people that don't know Pat's book, right, you guys have sort of this core market and you also briefly talked about what the attainable occupancy is. Maybe you just help explain like what what is the core market? What does that mean when you're in a core market for Pat's split? Let's go with that. A core market means you get the full suite of services. So in addition to the things like member screening, collections, and our amazing technology that you'll get anywhere, you also have on the ground, boots on the ground. So like Ryan mentioned, the market launchers that live in Houston, they are there, you know, stoking the fires. They are going to job centers and job fairs to, to help find people to stay in the houses. They're going to events to meet with investors. They are training local vendors on how to do things the pad split way so that someone like you who's nowhere near Houston can rely on the experts that we've created, um, uh, you know, the, the experts that we've trained. Another big thing is paid marketing. So um, if you were to type in room for rent Houston, uh, we're paying out the yin yang to Google to be on the top of the search results. If you were in a non-core market, like Omaha, Nebraska, you're not going to receive that paid marketing. So that rebook time is probably not going to be 10 days. Um, let's see. Well, that's a great point because I think people underestimate 
the why you're paying a passport fee, right? One, it's like they're they're paying a lot of money to help market your room. It's the brand awareness with that population that gets you and your rooms occupied, uh, versus you trying to do and market this stuff on Craigslist on your own and trying to vet every single tenant. I, I think that's a really really important clarification there, and for people to understand what the benefit is of teaming up with you guys. So let's maybe talk about like you will have some data. Like, are there any zip codes or, or neighborhoods that you see? as the best performer that uh, across like you know, the data that you have access to it's hard because houston is just like pocket by pocket by pocket it's hard to mm. just i wish i just had you know like one you know great answer but um i mean let's see what did my houston what did my market launcher tell me so um for example northeast houston we have some properties that are like constantly 100 percent filled and have good room rates but then three miles you know to the west where it's still you know north houston maybe they aren't doing as well um interestingly pasadena texas is an area i really like um it's by the houston hobby airport um one of the top performing areas in atlanta is also by the atlanta airport uh, so i think like tapping into kind of all the airport employees that are working a lot have really tough hours like shifts that start at 4 a.m or end at 4 a.m the proximity i think is really great um yeah i, I wish i could say like Northeast Houston is great. Southwest Houston is terrible. It's just a little bit more, you know, more nuanced. And the more rooms we get on the platform, the deeper our understanding can be on that. Yeah, well, that's great. So let's let's bring in Ryan because Ryan, I want to bring you in and talk to you about. We just got some tangible advice and tactically research advice from Blake about you know staying near the airport, which makes a lot of sense when you think about it. So. Ryan, let's let's dig into your expertise because you have over a third of the supply in Houston in your purview. What neighborhoods or areas are you seeing to be the top performers? Yeah, I want to real quick though uh, on the pad split, the marketing piece of it. This is the thing that I don't know. You know, if you're a sophisticated investor, you think about what are the 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 you know kind of the harder things to do. And it's really, it's marketing and the tenant management. And that's, PadSplit literally does that. And when, when we started out, I, I thought, you know, when I was telling, you know, my, my membership base about this program, I go, look, these guys are, are well-funded. They're well, like, educated relative to their experience. They know how to fill these things. And that, because that was always the question, like, who's going to live in these? And how are they going to do that? I go, man. That's something we don't have to worry about. We have to worry about this, figuring out where we could we could put them. So I just wanted to, to kind of dovetail on what Blake was saying relative to the service that they provide. Not only the platform itself, right, but the marketing. And like she said, they're spending a ton of money to put properties in our investors or put, put individuals in our investors' properties. Like that, I mean, where, what, what, what model out there do you have that that is what's happening? There isn't one that, that doesn't exist in nature. So I, I just wanted to kind of, you know, screen on that. Here's the deal about Houston. Yes, we don't have zoning, right? That's awesome because it, it, it is a completely free and relatively efficient market and it moves in a different way than areas that have zoning. So like Blake was talking about, you go to Northeast Houston, right? Well, 
this pocket, I mean, we can't have enough rooms there. You know, they're they're getting booked. Their rates are higher, all this. And then you think, well, it's it's proximity to this little pocket is a few miles away. Not so much. It is literally almost street by street because of this kind of phenomenon that happens with no zoning. It's I mean, it's 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 capitalism at its pure finest. And you have to see you kind of have to predict where things are moving. And that's really, I mean, for me in my career and not, not only in path splits, but just your typical uh, single family properties, that's kind of what I based it on because I've seen this, um, you know, time and time and time again. And this factor has become pretty predictable, you know, in terms of, of where things are moving. And what, what I've always thought is a lot of people will go, to the market that's already kind of turned, that's already kind of, of been, you know, um, you know, already already kind of running and gunning and, and juicing. Kind of speaking back to my earlier comment about you don't want to be the first one, you don't want to be the first one in, in a market. You want to basically take what what they've already, you know, they've already done. And I mean, you know, that that works. But for us. We want to find value in areas that are maybe adjacent that are that are popping a little bit later. So my my thought was always if I can get in an emerging market and I could basically right size the 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 math on okay this this property the 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 math of it makes sense today and if the the market doesn't go up the market doesn't you know pop like we think it's going to do that that's fine we're holding some real estate in a decent decent area we're cash flowing it everything's cool but if it does pop if it does does transition if it does get that that lift in that particular submarket man we're off to the races when i went out to atlanta um the story was always like this is one of our better performing pad splits this is this neighborhood used to be what i think it was pittsburgh i think it was what it was called like it, it was it was basically zoned or basically how many times they mentioned the neighborhood and outcast songs right that was kind of the, <laughs> the piece of it and it came to a point where it was like this area transitioned and this pad split kind of grew through that that process, I want to be in those markets. I want to be in those areas because we're really early in this. So, relative to that, I could pop up the uh, the map and kind of show you, you know, where it is. And and to Blake's point, Houston, it's spread out. So let me yeah, let me, let's do it. Let me show if, you. Let's have you. So for the listeners out there right now, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or on your phone or in your car, uh, definitely check us out at youtube.com slash at Kent underscore he, H-E, because we're going to have Ryan do a little, we're going to go into the details because this is where we don't, on this podcast, we're a little different. We don't just talk concepts and theories. We're actually going to get into the specifics so that you all have something tangible to walk away with, just like how Blake was giving us very specific numbers earlier. And this is why you want to work with someone on Blake. So make sure you click that referral link. But Ryan, take it away. I see your screen up now. Just yeah, for people that listen in the car, just yeah. uh, if you could just verbalize a little bit better for the audience about like what neighborhoods you might be referring to. Um, yeah. yeah. Tell us why why it's a great neighborhood. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty, pretty simple. I mean, we already talked about Pasadena. So Pasadena, Texas, not only is it near the airport, but it's also uh, just west of a lot of the industry. If you look over over here uh, to Pasadena, 
there's the airport. Here's Pasadena down um, just outside. This is our second loop. It's called the Beltway. And uh, Pasadena is, is right down just on the southeast side of Houston. And if you keep kind of rolling a little bit further east, you'll see the Houston Ship Channel, which is like one of the top three uh, shipping uh, areas in the country. Basically, if you filled your gas, your car with gas today, it probably came from the Houston Ship Channel. Um, oh. and so, uh what what is also over here, and I don't want to zoom out too much, is tons of um, of uh, chemical plants, tons of uh, refineries, things like that. So in terms of the workforce, this whole area from you know Baytown all the way back down to Pasadena is just kind of ripe for um, for pad split for 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 those ty those types of workers that are living in those properties so that's that's definitely something in the in the kind of lower southeast uh, part of of houston um one of the areas where it's had tremendous growth over the past probably five six years well for for a lot longer than that but like in the in the most recent times in the neighborhoods around this is the texas medical center I mean, it's for sure one of the, the largest and, and best medical centers in the country. And for pad split, we have uh, whole houses that are adjacent to this where it's all um, traveling nurses quite a bit, especially during, you know, the, the end of the pandemic, the tail end. So that's kind of on the almost directly south of Houston is the, the medical center. And most of those properties, that's 77051. 77021 77033 um, in that in in that kind of market area which basically spans between uh, if you're familiar with Houston the South Loop um, and all the way to uh, the Beltway down 288 um, on the south side 45 on the east side and then up to um, with South Main which is 90. Um, on the um, on the west side, so this is a this probably was the first market that was sub market that we entered into with a handful of properties, um, Brookfield being one of them, which was one of our first. Um, that's one piece of it uh, where the the medical center is obviously drawing a lot of 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 those bookings, but really on the just on the other side of two eighty eight. You have the university, uh, so Texas Southern University, and then University of Houston, which has just entered the Big Twelve. It's 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 growing leaps and bounds. That's just out here on the south southeast side of downtown. So this little pocket and those zip codes that I just mentioned, um, I mean, we're 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 talking some massive growth. The other piece of it is for this particular submarket when we're kind of drilling down on where where we want to identify um, a good place for a pad split, um, public transit. Now, Houston is for sure not known for its public transit, but we do have Metro and, you know, we do have, you know, it, it is serviceable, right? So when we're looking at a pad split, we always want to be about a half mile away from the nearest bus stop. And so when you're talking about this submarket, there is a ton of, of, of inventory if we're doing remodels in this area that are 
well within a half mile of, of, a, of a bus stop. The other thing, and Blake mentioned this, is HOAs. These areas are, are historically kind of older areas, and they don't have the, um, the challenges of like maybe a little further out uh, in the suburb type areas where they have HOAs, uh, mandatory HOAs that have a lot of rules and can give you a lot of, you know, could be a, a lot of friction around having a, a co-living property in those neighborhoods. These, pro these, these areas, um, and we've kind of, you know, it's, you know, it's neighborhood by neighborhood, but we've kind of identified where, and we've, <laughs> we've done a lot of due diligence because it's not always easy to find these, these HOAs. Cause I, like I said, some of these neighborhoods are 60, 70, 80 years old. So finding the, the uh, deed restrictions and rules uh, takes a little bit of digging. And so we've, we've basically gone zip code for zip code and neighborhood for neighborhood on a lot of these markets, kind of identifying where, you know, the, the voluntary HOAs are the mandatory HOAs and the proper, the properties and neighborhoods that don't have any HOAs. Um, the other piece of it is if you're going to remodel a property in Atlanta, or, or pad split remodel property in Atlanta, it's a little bit different because you have basements. And so that kind of lends itself to being able to do that here. You know, we're, we're basically, you know, it's, it's flat and you can see behind me, it's just flat and it's, it's, you know, prone to, to uh, flood zones in some of these areas. So we can't have a basement obviously, but we have to look for properties that have enough square footage whether we are, you know, taking the existing property or whether we're converting a garage, something along those lines, we have to make sure that there's enough space in those properties that, um, you know, in order to do the pad split remodel. And then the, um, the, the, the last piece of it is parking. You know, Houston for sure does have a public transit, transit system, but Houston's a tough town to live in if you don't have a car. So we have to we, we have to make sure that we have at least, you know, 50% of our rooms have 50% parking. So if it's 10 rooms, we have, you know, five parking spots or more. So that, that includes a, a driveway, which will typically have four spots or some str on the street parking, which we can, you know, we can usually get a, a couple of spots out of that. So that's, that's definitely when we're talking about these little sub markets, um, I think when Blake is talking about, you know, what makes a great pad split and then a few miles away, maybe it's not, not as good. It's those, those kind of driving factors along those lines. So this little market here on the South side of town, the Northeast side is a little bit different in that there's not as much, um, you know, specific industry like it is on the South Southeast side. So on the North side, you have the, um, on, you know, kind of, Probably about 45 minutes from downtown, you have the International Airport, uh, George Bush International Airport. Um, but you kind of have this in between um, where it's kind of it's, you know, it's it's dicey where you're kind of locating these properties. So you have to be really specific about where it's going to be again, public transportation, because some of these northern lying areas, they don't have that public transportation. The metro doesn't go that far out. So you, you need to be kind of. Um, mindful of, of that when you're when you're looking at it then the other piece of it is is there's a there's a 59 um, and 45 and then again 610 this is the north side of that loop so when you're when you're talking about where kind of people would like to be 
not just for jobs, but for restaurants, entertainment, that sort of thing, kind of the central area. Uh, the Heights is kind of the, the, the cool place to be on the north side. So anything adjacent to that, one of our best properties is just, uh, just north of the Heights, where um, probably about, I don't know, maybe a 15-minute walk, there's a Whole Foods. So obviously when Whole Foods goes in a neighborhood, you know, um, you know, property values are, are probably going up and it's, it's going to be a good area to invest in if you can get ahead of that. So, so those areas up that and way. And for the Heights, are you talking about like the greater Heights, Woodland Heights, Houston Heights? Cause I'm just trying to look, follow along with you uh, yeah, to make sorry. sure that the audience can, can follow. Yeah. So you about. have greater Heights, Independence Heights. This is the thing about Houston is because the Heights is so, you know, kind of a, the neato place to be. Everything mm -hmm. adjacent has now named itself the Heights, even neighborhoods <laughs> that were never the Heights. It's like, oh, I live in the Heights. I'm like, yeah, no, you really don't. But so uh, greater Heights and then you have, which is kind of the, the you know, the, the central area there. Then you have Independence Heights. But when you when you get kind of past that, you have Northside, um, Acres Homes and then going that's going straight north from there. Um, to the to the east of there, uh, one area that I've loved. I mean, you know, since I came back to Houston ten years ago and started doing real estate in Houston from Austin, um, was uh, near Northside because it kind of reminded me, um, if you know Austin at all, kind of East Austin, the culture of that, the the kind of uh, you know the 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 feel of that neighborhood. But they've just put through um, near Northside. Uh, recently our our first rail that's kind of going up and it's actually going to go all the way up to uh intercontinental airport and it comes down through downtown through the medical center and then through the university area so that's kind of expanding so we're really really hot on on that area um fifth ward i gotta say something about fifth ward so east houston you know historically and as you can see it's always been kind of uh industrial not a lot of residential there. Um, Could you zoom in really quick on the, the fifth ward? I want to make sure the, the people on YouTube yeah. is also paying attention. There we go. Yeah, so fifth ward is on the, the north side, northeast side, mm. direct northeast adjacent from downtown. So uh, for those that, that can see, you have the Buffalo Bayou, and this bayou actually goes to, uh, to the, the, um, the Houston Ship Channel. So there's a lot of industry along the lines there. Well, what's happened in recent years is they've those industries have kind of moved out to the suburbs and moved moved a little further east if, if they're on the, the ship channel. And these large, and this is something that I think is really unique to Houston, these large parcels of land that were industry are now being kind of uh, developed and built up by developers to have like these really cool mixed use areas where you have... Uh, venues concert venues uh you have restaurants you have uh work you know workspace because i think a lot of people now uh where you know you're kind of working from home you want to kind of be in the mix along those lines um to where you have kind of it's a little bit more walkable to these places so they're developing uh right here along um what's called east end or edo um of down east edo is east downtown they're building what's called the East River Project. So it's going to kind of span um, from the east side of downtown all the way down the uh, the Buffalo Bayou. So Fifth Ward is kind of prime 
for this resurgence because I mean this this area that they're putting in there is going to be it's basically going to kind of be the place to be in East Houston kind of where um, where where you have these venues these restaurants and a lot of cool stuff going on so I, I'm we're we're doing uh, interior uh, infill build to rent townhomes in these areas and I think it's it's absolutely ripe for for pad split. Um, so well, I, I love everything that you have talked about, Ryan, because I think if I were to just summarize everything, you we, first of all, we went through the east side going across, really following your, your sources of employment. You had the chemical plants and you went on to the airport in the south. Then you had the medical centers down in, in the south part. But then you had this really interesting location that's kind of smacking between the medical center and also the the airport so pl tons of employment out there but i love your point about parking where you want to make sure you have parking spots for at least <coughs> half the folks especially as you go north where you pointed out earlier where there there's a rail being built but there's not necessarily a rail there yet correct me if i'm wrong but then you also have this other spot where you talked about hey you got to know these pockets sometimes the signs of development is sort of the best signs of mm -hmm. an indication for path of progress. Maybe now that we talked about so many of the great areas, is there, and we have to ask this, right? Is there any spots that you you should definitely avoid like bad areas, lots of crime, et cetera, that, that you can kind of educate the folks on because that's some investors, number one fair, right? Especially if yeah. they're investing out of state. Yeah. I have like, <clears throat> I have Ryan gave me some guidance with some data, but man, how do I really know that I'm not, buying in a really really bad area that no one wants to live yeah i think that ultimately when when you're when you're looking at where to put a pad split in houston if you stick to these areas like i said that that have those kind of um those features right the, the public transit kind of uh, adjacent to some other development you're going to kind of avoid that so like in in northeast houston um for instance when you start, if you go up uh, north uh, 59 here, um, if you get probably two to three miles away, you know, east of that that uh, that road, it starts to become a little bit less um, desirable because there isn't that public transportation. There isn't a lot of um, kind of development adjacent. And if you get like four or five miles out, it kind of becomes a little bit more rural. So it really kind of takes out of the things in my mind that make a path split successful, which is kind of, you know, uh, more inner city type type living, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And I want to kind of get to the next question. I think this has been super, super valuable information here, Ryan. Uh, I, I've talked to you briefly, and I know that you guys have agents, construction folks inside uh, inside your company, and property managers. But you guys, interestingly enough, are moving towards new construction. And now this is interesting because I saw some of your, your, your plans and your specs, and I was like, huh, this is really interesting. So I want to hear from you why you decided <clears throat> to go pursue that model. And just for folks that can't picture it, right? I, I was looking at a plan where there's eight bedrooms and eight bathrooms, like, yeah. all private ensuite uh, rooms yeah. that's like super super i like niche but then dedicated towards this exit strategy specifically so brian give us your thought process and i'll bring blake in to kind of talk about like what she's seeing as the best performing pad splits and why she thinks they're doing so well there yeah so you know it kind of stemmed from our initial 
findings on the single family side. So if we're identifying these submarkets that are, are transitional, right, we can kind of, you know, pick and choose. Like I was saying on the pad split side, we have to find a very specific type of property in order to be able to remodel it and pad split. And it's got to flow. It's got to be a certain, you know, certain type of a property. We have to work with what's there. And a lot of these markets um, that are, uh, that I've kind of identified today, those properties are not their older houses. So they're like a thousand, 1100 square feet. And so what we were doing on a, on a handful of properties, we were actually expanding those properties. We were adding square footage to those properties um, uh, relative to the, to the, to the pad split model. So it, it made sense that, you know, the, the thinking was okay. If we can get these plans approved, we can get Houston to say, okay, we're cool with what you're doing here. Um, it gave us a lot of optionality if we were, you know, not having to take an, an existing structure. So, for instance, you mentioned with, with the data that we have on in-suite uh, properties, which was kind of uh, Blake and, and Frank's, you know, uh, brainchild when, when we started doing these properties, we would put, I think we were doing four rooms to one bathroom that was shared and then two suites in every property to kind of kind of see what what the market would take on that because it looked like it was it was a uh, a good a good uh model <clears throat> or a good product excuse me and um man that's that's absolutely fleshed itself out so on average a i think a normal shared room rents for like 150 160 a week across across houston um, the average, I think, uh, stay is about eight months in those rooms, in those shared rooms where on a, in a, in a suite with, with private bathroom. And we also put closets in every room too, which without going into it, I think that's a, that's a, a valued feature too. Um, the suites rent for 250, 245 on average a week. And the average uh, member stays uh, 12 to 14 months, I think is, is roughly, you know, and those things, I, I think the, the, the occupancy where 10 days was the number for a shared room for, for once a room gets turned and then it gets booked within 10 days on a suite, that's one and a half days. Yeah. Wow, that's fast. No, it's it's insane. I mean, clearly, if you're thinking about wanting to live in a pad split, I mean, would you rather have your own bathroom, your own kind of space? I mean, that 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 levels levels it up in in that way for what is still very very affordable housing relative to the to the market. If you wouldn't have to get an, an apartment along those lines, but the other piece of it is, Kent, is that now because we're building from the ground up. We can be very, very diligent on and very discerning on where we are putting these things. We're not kind of handcuffed to, well, this property is kind of on the edge, but it meets our needs and it checks for the five boxes. No, we can go and we can actually say, this is where we want to put pad splits. This is where we have identified that the pad split model is going to work the best. And we literally can, can build from the ground up. And because we're building from the ground up, we can actually design this to be a very efficient pad split. Open open uh, kitchen and open dining concepts are mm -hmm. part of the 
situation, we can we can uh, roll with that. And then the rooms themselves, making them optimal, and and you know at the end of the day, way more marketable. Yeah. So you just talked a lot about the benefits, right? One, higher rental rates for these ensuite rooms, better occupancy, which naturally keeps your biggest expense, which is vacancy, down. Yeah. Now, what is the cost difference? Like, how much do you generally? Does a pad split remodel cost compared to a new construction cost? <clears throat> yeah. Some rules of thumb there that the investors that listen to this call can kind of take away. Yeah, that, yeah. I have a very, very basic, very easy way to do it. Do that when we're talking about per room. If we went and identified a an existing property and we're going to remodel it to the to the pin standard of what we're doing, you're probably about thirty thousand dollars per room. So if you have ten rooms. That's a three hundred thousand dollar property, including acquisition and construction, and then also the pad split furnishings, uh, things like that. Right, so you're you're invested about thirty grand per room, um, and like I said, we we'd probably do two suites, and the rest would be shared rooms. So you could do the math on the averages there and the ROI that could be expected along those lines. Now those are still insane returns. I mean, let, let me be really clear. Like those are, those are still really, really good numbers. Even when you factor in, you know, maintenance and vacancy and utilities and pass split fees, all those things, you're still getting a 10 to 15%, you know, ROI cash on cash on, on those properties um, levered, right? If, if you're getting a, a loan for part of it on the new build side, we're looking at probably anywhere from, Forty to forty-five thousand dollars per room, which is, I mean, you know, it's it's a little bit of a jump, but relative to the fact that you're going to be getting suites the entire time and and the the efficiencies of that, um, it starts to make a lot of sense. The other piece of it is, and this is where kind of I get into my, um, you know, my assumption phase is the places in which we can put these new builds are are so. I think the opportunity is is so exciting that you know, like I said earlier, we're gonna put them in. We're gonna we're gonna stress them. Current market, two forty five average, whatever the case may be on these suites. But I think there's a lot of room uh, to run as as those areas start to transition and as they start to to uh, to kind of you know develop a little more. Oh, this is interesting. So 30 grand roughly, that's a great rule of thumb for investors to take into account and 40 to 45 grand for a new build. But technically you would think you get higher rental rates, but then you should also get lower vacancy and you should have lower maintenance at the same time because it's a brand yes, new build. What, what terms can, because most investors, they might be used to buying a conventional deal, right? Last question for you before I move to Blake. Yeah. Um, what can investors expect to see for loans for new construction? Like, how does that differ? Are they are they drawing on a specific time? Are they buying it off front? Like, how does that process work at a high level? Yeah, that's a good question. So we have several strategic partners that when we launched out and we started doing uh, new construction, you know, lending was a, a little bit scarce along those lines for individuals. But um, because now, again, we have the network, we have the experience, we can actually show these lenders, hey, this is what our, our investors have done. We've been able to get a, a handful of those those folks. And because they're not stressing it relative to the risk of, of kind of not knowing, you know, the way that bankers do, um, 
we can actually show them what you know what what the what the risk factors are we show them what the historical data is um we've gotten you know better rates on on some of these things a little bit better leverage relative to if we were remodeling so um the the math of it is 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 about the same as what you would do on like a hard money type loan on a, on a normal property but um where you're including the acquisition you're including the construction costs right which is usually 70 percent of what the value of that property is going to be um you know after it's already fixed you could do the math on what your leverage is there on the construction side it's a loan to cost so meaning that if your cost is a hundred thousand dollars typically it's a 90 percent loan to cost so if your cost is a hundred thousand dollars they're going to loan you ninety thousand dollars the caveat is is they go back to that 70 percent ltv so it, it's got to basically it, you know it's got to meet that 70 percent so it's the it's the the lesser of the two 90 percent loan to cost or 70 percent loan to value if that makes sense so yes cool thing the cool thing about that is that you've you've now typically when you close on that loan you have you've purchased the property so that we could start the the phase of planning we get we get submitted to the city which usually takes about two or three months um to get those approved and as you're doing that your construction money is escrowed so every dollar that you'll need to complete this project is escrowed in the bank. So once we get the plans approved, then the construction team obviously will start the construction process. And we do probably, depending on you know the 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 client, depending on on their kind of risk tolerance factors, we do anywhere from four to six, seven, eight draws. We can we can spread that out to kind of make it a little more palatable along those lines because it's kind of money in, money out on the, on the cash flow. Um, on our, and just kind of to, to tell you on our, our calculator, when we calculate these things and we actually present these to our clients, we're rolling through this in very detailed, what, what, where you're going to be out of money, where you're investing money and, and kind of the, the, the calculus of, of how that rolls out cash flow wise. So what happens is we go in and let's say we've done five draws. So we do 20% of the work. Typically, the bank comes out, inspects that work, makes sure that it's been done, releases those funds. Now we do another 20%, kind of on and on and on. What we've done is, is, is we've broken it out into the five draws, but we also have two phases where what we'll do is once the property is complete, we'll do phase two, which is basically getting it pad split ready so that you can actually refinance that property, get into a long-term loan with a lower interest rate along those lines, and then within a, a month to six weeks, we have it on platform, PadSplit's doing their thing, getting this thing filled, which takes you know a roughly four to six weeks to do, getting it occupied, and then you're you're off to the races. Man, and that that's that's such a good process. Thank you for going through the level of detail that you did, because I think this gives the, the audience very, very good clarity into what it might take. Sure, there is a 
higher return theoretically, but it comes with a longer lead time. So that's something all investors just got to really be mindful of and really say, hey, does this fit my investment strategy? Do I want to have my credit tied up on, on this, right? So you got to talk to your lenders and make sure that they're working and also reach out to Ryan if this is something that you're really interested in. But the, the uh, first Blake, thing we let, do, I want to say, Kent, real quick, the first thing we do is that, is we go, what are your goals? Mm -hmm. What are you trying to accomplish? Because a lot of people, and I'll say this on this this platform, a lot of people go out and buy real estate without having any goals. <laughs> they just think uh, real estate's a great idea, and that's true. But if you don't have a goal, if you're not, if you don't know where you're trying to get to, you can't inform decisions along the way. Mm -hmm. So the first thing that we do at Penn is we have a portfolio advisor that goes through and puts a five-year plan together and says, "Here's year one, here's year two, here's year three, so that we we're we're you know, laser focused on whatever that end goal piece is so that when we're looking at the math of it, we understand what the decisions need to be relative to the goal. Yeah. And I love that. That's like the perfect segue, right? Because the goal now can be, Blake, what what should summer top performers look like? And I think you can probably provide some of the best color here, Blake. So, so I do just want to go one thing that you guys were talking about before when you're talking about the benefits of doing an eight bedroom, eight bathroom. So like all of the things you said, absolutely. But like another thing is just member experience, member experience, member experience. A lot of our residents are coming from extended stay motels, which we know are often not clean, not safe, but they do have their own private bathroom. So sometimes getting over the fact of sharing a bathroom can be a hurdle to moving people in. The other thing I'll say is that the three things that impact me member tenure the most are move-in experience, responsiveness to maintenance tickets, but also cleanliness of the home. Now, do I love going into my bathroom and seeing my husband's little beard shavings? No, but at least like he's my husband. You know, like if you don't have to share a bathroom with anyone, like that is like the main place other than the kitchen that you're going to be upset about cleanliness, you know, even just in a normal pad split, when you're sharing a bathroom, you have, you know, you're bringing your shampoo and conditioner and your towel, you know, you can't leave anything in the bathroom. If you have your own bathroom, like you can make that your, your moment of Zen for the day. Um, so I think that like the member experience piece with the private bathrooms can't be like overstated enough. So I just really wanted to hit that point. Um, as far as, you know, when you're going to do a pad split, um, really just like what you should, what should you do? You should put yourself in the, you know, the shoes of the member. Like you have to have a bed. Now, should you, you know, could you put like a two inch mattress in the room? You could, but like, do you want to sleep on that? No, you don't. So like, remember that these are hardworking people. A lot of them have, you know, service jobs. They're on their feet all day or they're lifting heavy stuff all day. Like make their room a place of refuge and comfort. Um, you know, like you have to have a place to unpack. So you could just have a closet, but like where are people going to put their gym shorts and socks? Like think about what it would be like to like live in the room. You know, our minimum required square footage is 80 square feet. Would you, you know, like instead of maybe squeezing in as many eight by 10 rooms as you can, maybe have a 10 by 10 room and have a few less, you know, just thinking about the member experience is just really important. Um, when rooms are bigger and, you know, everybody, that expression, everything's bigger in Texas. Um, when you do have larger rooms, um, thinking about, you know, we don't want to have couches and we don't want to have love seats. Um, they get stained. You don't want to have a friend over all that, but like maybe throw a desk in the room. Because, you know, maybe whether someone's a part-time student or just it's a place to prop up their computer while they're watching, you know, while they're watching Netflix or whatever's going on. Um, it's just really think about the resident experience, you know, like 
Um, you need to have artwork on the wall. You want to make it be welcoming. Ryan does a really cool thing where he partners with like a local school and buys artwork from the school and then like puts it up in the rooms, which I think is just like a really nice touch. Um, so just like the biggest thing is to think about what would you want if you were staying in the room? Yeah. And I think that's such a great point. It's also artwork, things that makes the picture a little bit more nice, a little bit more homey, a little bit more inviting. That's how you stand out from your competition. Don't forget there are... There are 600 rooms in Houston, but you, if I were to do this, I will want my spot to be the best because why do something if you don't want to be the best at it? That's just kind of like my personal investment thesis. So that's really interesting. Um, I love all of the little gems that you put in, which is why you guys should definitely work with Blake by clicking the referral link. But this, Blake, um, this is a question that I kind of ask everybody that comes on a podcast. I, I want to see if like, your answers change. Why do you think affordable housing, uh, particularly the lack of supply of affordable housing, is so hard to solve for? Well, I think because historically the incentives for investors just haven't been there. Um, it's not, you know, the juice isn't worth the squeeze to do a traditional, you know, affordable housing unit. Um, it's also harder to get government, you know, tax relief to build affordable housing. It used to be a little bit easier. Um, I think it's just, it's okay for an investor to be primarily focused on profit. I mean, that's their business. We're all business people, but when you are primarily focused on pad split or on, on profit without pad split, affordable housing, isn't going to get you there. If your goal is just making as much money as possible. Um, so I think that's a big piece of it. I think also there's a little bit of a, some people feel like there's a stigma on people that might need affordable housing. And I just think that's really unfortunate because um, you just, don't really know what people's life circumstances have been. Um, maybe they're the first person in their country, you know, in their family to come over to America and they're trying to build a better life. Or maybe they had to, you know, drop out of high school in ninth grade to take care of their family or their siblings. It doesn't mean they don't deserve a nice place to stay. And I think it's just like a lack of awareness of these, you know, all the people that are just, we're interacting with all the time, not having a safe place to stay. And then if you do know, and you want to do something about it, it feeling like it's this massive problem and how are you going to tackle it? I think what's so cool about pad split is that it gives an individual agency to like really make the world a better place and take care of the bottom line. Oh, that is just so beautifully said uh, that I, I think with affordable housing, this is why we started this podcast. So if people can understand like, Hey, there's so many different avenues to invest in affordable housing from single family, mom and pop section eight landlord to something with a little bit more higher yield, like a pad split, but you are still helping folks, especially for hardworking immigrant families. Like someone like my mom that, you know, she lived in, there were nine of us in a two bedroom apartment here. This is a step up because everybody gets their own rooms and it's like you get independence from that perspective. You have freedom to build a solid foundation for your family. And I think people just discount the fact that there are very many hardworking folks in America that deserve a stable home to grow up in close to their employment location. So they're not spending all that money on gas so that they can actually have some money left over to save up for their family. So I really appreciate that answer. That's a really, really well said answer, Blake. I love it. Uh, Ryan, uh, Ryan let's, let's bring you in. What, why do you think affordable housing is so hard to solve for, particularly around the lack of supply? I think first and foremost, and Blake touched on this, you know, the first question I get is who lives in these places? You know, There's such a stigma around affordable housing. And it's, it's historically been, you know, you say affordable housing, you think projects, right? You think government subsidies. You think people who are basically uh, living in um, 
you know, homeless shelters, these sort of things. But look, the, the, the and, and maybe we need another word for, for it because there's a gulf here of, of affordable, of, of what, of what the market needs in terms of affordable housing, because there's this, there's this basically gap between what we would say the typical affordable housing that I just mentioned and what the reality of the situation is, what is really affordable anymore? You know, you come out of college, you get a job making $40,000 a year and your rent in Houston over here, it's $2,000 a month. Maybe if you go a little further out, it's fifteen hundred bucks a month. Is that is that affordable if you're making forty grand a year, you know, gross? So I think that 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 the approach of it has always been just on this lower end, and it's always been maybe kind of the the, the local municipalities and things kind of addressing some of it, but a lot of you know people don't want their taxes spent on that. So I think it's going to be like I said in early is is mom and pops and 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 concepts like pad split that are going to bridge that gap between you know what we understand affordable housing to be and what it really actually is and is getting the 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 gap is getting wider and wider and being able to kind of fill that in because the people that are living in pad splits these are people that are hardworking individuals right they're they're educated it is it is not anything other than the fact that there's not a better affordable solution it's not the old kind of standbys of why we need affordable housing i think that it's you know to answer the question kind of and wrap it a bow on it's 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 a whole new approach to a whole new problem thank that, you that's so what much say. yeah i, I mean I can't thank you both enough for coming onto this podcast, but most importantly, helping me dispel the myth around affordable housing, dispel the stigma. Because I know that this is going to be a lifetime battle because that's how hard it is to get through it when you have so many years of entrenched stigma and, and perception what affordable housing is. So I can't thank you both enough for coming onto the podcast, sharing a wealth of knowledge around the Houston market, because for all those people that might be scared of investing out of state, you just had someone literally give you a million dollar value conversation from not only the password, but also a local expertise so that you understand where to potentially invest that might give you the best chance of success. Now, again, this is not investment advice, full disclaimer, <laughs> there's not solicitation for investments, um, but this is who you need on your team to succeed. And I am so blessed to have met the both of you and like I, I just feel so incredibly uh, I'm just in awe that you guys volunteered your time to come onto the podcast to share this information with our audience so that they can have their best chance of succeeding. So I uh, thank you both so much. Thank, uh, thank you so much as well. It's always, you know, it's a pleasure to, you know, to talk with you. And I so appreciate you helping to spread the word because you're right. It is a, like, it's a, it's a mind shift. And if, you know, you've never, like I didn't know before I worked at Padsplit, honestly, that you could have a full-time job and not have a safe place to live. I just, it's just, I've been, I wasn't aware. And now that I'm aware, it's like, I want to just scream it from the rooftop. So thank you for <laughs> writing the platform to help educate people and for people that want to be part of the solution, giving them, you know, ways to be part of this, the, the solution. Yeah, Ken, I mean, look, thank you for, I, look, I, I will take this time, you know, I, I'm a huge proponent of Padsplits, but what, what you are doing specifically, brother, 
I mean, you are you are a trailblazer, man. You absolutely are, and and your intensity uh, towards this is uh, man, it's humbling. I tell you that. I tell you that, man. So uh, thank you, uh, thank, thank you, you and you know, from the bottom of my heart, being able to do this with uh, with one of my favorite people on the planet, Blake. Over Go Braves! <laughs> oh, oh, I take that back. I take that back. This is all done. <laughs> no seriously guys uh, this is thank you so much for those kind of words when we first started this podcast we had no idea whether or not people would even want to listen to this stuff um and you know there were plenty of times that i thought about quitting but i'm so glad the momentum kept bringing us forward and i kept meeting amazing people like you guys that also equally are vested and in, in, in want to fight this fight so thank you so much uh ryan if people want to reach out to you how do they get in touch with you yeah, you can you can email me directly, Ryan at Passive Investor, um, or you want to email my team, uh, info at passiveinvestor.net. Amazing. And Blake, how would people get in touch with you if they want to learn more about Passive Blade? Check out the <laughs> referral link below. Here's my Instagram handle. Also, yes. you can reach out to me at Blake, B-L-A-K-E, at padsplit.com. Um, and just let me know how you heard about me and I'll get you to the top of my, my line to have a meeting and um, dig in. Awesome. All right. This has been an amazing conversation. I can't wait to get some properties in Houston and then maybe we can just come on. We can do a case study with the audience members, with the both of you on, just talk about, hey, let's see how much growth there has been in, in six months, 12 months. And that can give a real tangible expand, uh, example to the audience. So thank you so much. And we are out. Awesome. Thanks, Kent.